We'll turn now to the Gospel of Matthew, the opening book of the New Testament. Matthew 28, the last chapter, resurrection chapter. I'll be preaching from the last three verses, but to get the context, let's read the whole chapter. Matthew 28, hear the Word of God as it comes to us this morning. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. And did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples... Behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money. And did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even 
unto the end of the world. Amen. Dear church family, you may recall that several weeks ago, I began a little series of messages with you on evangelism. And we looked in that first sermon at the valley of dry bones being brought to life by the Holy Spirit. And we saw that the ground for effectual evangelism was lying in this saving ministry of the Holy Spirit who could breathe into spiritually dead and dry bones and bring them to life. This morning, I want to go a step further with you, having laid that foundation that all evangelism is dependent on the Holy Spirit, and look at our calling, our calling, if we're true believers, grounded in Scripture to go out and evangelize. And we're going to look at that through what's called the Great Commission, the Great Commission, which is the last three verses of Matthew 28. And then, some weeks from now, I want to look at a third and final message on evangelism by walking you through, or it may take me two sermons, by walking you through exactly how the Bible teaches us we are to evangelize. And we'll look at things like, should we use tract ministry? Should we go door to door? Should we, how, how do we evangelize someone that you meet on the street or someone in the office? Or how do you evangelize your own child? And so on. So we're building in these two sermons a foundation looking at that spirits, evangelism work, and now at our duty, we're building a foundation for how do we go out and speak to others? and share the gospel of Christ with them. So let's read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So I want you to see in this text this morning that it's packed full with God's promises for those who go out and evangelize. And thus this text, this great commission, is an encouragement to every believer sitting here this morning to persevere in evangelizing because of God's promises. So my title to the sermon, therefore, is God's Commissioning Promise. Go make disciples. And we'll look at three thoughts. The promise of divine authority, verse 18. The promise of divine delegation, verse 19 and 20a, and the promise of divine presence, 
the last part of verse 20. Well, in this passage then, we learn that God calls the church to make disciples because Christ has delegated his divine authority to the church and confirmed his divine presence with her. And as we go out teaching and making disciples, the Holy Spirit breathes, therefore, on dead, dry bones and brings them to spiritual life. This is Jesus' normal way to save sinners through the preaching of the Word and through the evangelization of those who hear the Word and go out and tell others. Now, Jesus gave the Great Commission, our text this morning, at a very pivotal moment in redemptive history. The long-anticipated Messiah has come. He suffered. He's died. He's risen again. And he's about to send into heaven and to pour out his spirit so that not just a little pinprick on the globe called Israel would be the recipient of his saving grace, but the gospel would be spread to all the nations of the world, even to the ends of the earth. At that moment, when Jesus is on the cusp of going into heaven and sending his spirit and causing the gospel to triumph, and 3,000 would be saved under Peter's very first post-Pentecostal sermon. At that very moment, Jesus gives these decisive words, this famous text this morning called the Great Commission, instructing his people about the mission of the church until his glorious day of return so that we understand we are to steward our talents to occupy, as he says in Matthew 25, or do business, literally, until the end, spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, this command to spread the gospel that comes to every, every true believer is grounded, first of all, in the promise of divine authority, the promise of divine authority. Turn with me to verse 18. We're going to be walking slowly through this text this morning, so it, it will greatly help you if, you're, if you have your Bible open. Verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, or you could translate it, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So notice in this verse that the church has the authority, the right or the responsibility, to spread the gospel because she receives this authority from Christ, who is the supreme authority over all the universe. And therefore, you see, if you read this verse rightly in conjunction with the two to follow, 
you will understand that Jesus is setting the groundwork for saying there's every encouragement for you when you go out to evangelize and to persevere in evangelism because my command to you to go out and evangelize is grounded in the promise of my divine authority. I am but to command that it is. I am but to send out my spirit and he will do the work. Now today, of course, authority is often considered a negative word of all things. The whole Bible structures the totality of life around the idea of authority as a, as a good thing, not something to be rebelled against or despised or resisted. So in the Bible, if I could just give you this picture a moment, God is supreme authority. He now gives all authority into the hands of his Son, in heaven and on earth. His Son exercises that authority through the Bible, which is authored supremely by the Holy Spirit. So you have the authority of the Father delegated to the Son, and the Son exercises it through the Spirit and the Word. And then the Spirit and the Word teach us authority in every area of life. So if you had a chart... You'd put God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, slash Bible, and then you'd have, you'd branch it out into several sections. Husband, head of the wife, parents, uh, authority over the children, uh, school teacher over, over the, ch- over the students, uh, government over the citizens, a consistory over, over a congregation, uh, employer over employee. All of life is structured around this theme of authority. And Jesus holds all that authority in his hands. He's the divine holder of authority. And so, notice that Jesus himself is saying that plainly. This is not a boast. This is a fact. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. And that is a common theme in all four Gospels, by the way. But what is authority? Authority is the moral right and responsibility to bind consciences and exercise power. To bind consciences and exercise power. You see, those who give authority to others also give power to execute that authority. And Jesus has the reins of both in his hand. He has both power and authority. They're very closely tied together. His moral right to exercise power, that's his authority, is joined with his capacity to effect results. That's his power. So he commissions his apostles, and we'll see momentarily, by extension his church, 
and by a further extension, every one of his people, he commissions us to exercise his authority and his power in evangelizing others. Now, this authority given from the Father to the Son is speaking especially, of course, about the authority of Christ in his humanity. In terms of his deity, you understand, obviously, he has supreme inherent authority from all eternity. He's God, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. But according to his humanity, his reception of authority, of exclusive supreme authority, was part of his glorious exaltation as the God-man. And so Matthew Henry says, before Jesus granted his disciples the authority to preach the gospel to the nations, he proclaimed the authority he had received, merited, from the Father. So in verse 18, Jesus is saying, that authority that I receive also in my humanity from the Father is over the entire universe. This is amazing. The Father has given me all authority in heaven and in earth to me. Now, this is obviously alluding to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is referring both to the highest part of creation, heaven, and the lowest part of creation, earth, to designate the entire universe, the entire created order is under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So while the first Adam in paradise tragically failed to exercise his authority over creation, the second Adam, now in his exalted, resurrected state, is saying, I, by the grace of God, am wonderfully victorious in ruling over all things, the whole universe. Daniel foresaw this day, didn't he, in Daniel 7? when the Father would exalt the Messianic Son of David over all things. So Jesus delegates now the authority he receives from the Father to his apostles to extend his redemptive rule, his kingdom, throughout the world by the gospel until he returns. And he says in John 20, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So the commission for his disciples, his followers, his people, to go out comes from the Father through Christ the Mediator. So acting in his name and partaking of his anointing, we are to go out and speak his word to others and seek to invite others to come to this Savior, with repentance and faith, just as they are. So you see, this chain of authority operates at the heart of the gospel. The Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, through the church, 
by the individual believer. Now, this universal scope of authority that Jesus has is absolute. It covers every area of life, all authority, not just 99%. 100% authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Let me just give you an example from some scripture texts of that. Christ has authority to forgive sins. That's huge. Luke 5, 24. Christ has the authority to rule his church. Our text. But also Matthew 18. 18 through 20. Christ has the authority to grant eternal life to hell-worthy sinners. John 17. He has the authority to strengthen the church in her weakness and failings. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he also has authority over nature. Mark 4, 39. Over political kingdoms. Psalm 2, verse 6. Over both the old and the new creation. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. He possesses a universal scope of authority. So there's no fragment, no atom in the space-time universe that evades his dominion. The gates of hell cannot prevail against his kingdom and cannot prevail against his church. In fact, the church can move ahead in her work with great confidence in evangelism, for all the powers of darkness cannot destroy her because the Lord of heaven and earth is with her. But what that also means, of course, is that Jesus Christ is Lord in authority over every single detail of your life and of my life. And we owe all things to him. He's our creator. He's our provider. He's our sustainer. He's the Lord to whom all power is given. He can destroy us in a moment. He can comfort us in a moment. He can save us in a moment. He can sustain us in a moment. All authority is in his hands. And all of that authority that he exercises toward us, therefore, we have to give an account of on the day of judgment. And what that means, boys and girls, is God gave you your eyes, right? On the day of judgment, you have to tell him what you did with your eyes. He gave you your hands and feet. He gave you your soul. He gave you your brain. He gave you everything. You can't blink an eye without the Lord. And so everything, everything comes back to God. God is an inescapable God, which is a great comfort to his people. But if you're not saved this morning, you need to flee back to that God. You need to surrender your life to that God. You need to repent of your sins before that God by his Spirit. Trust in Him alone for salvation because it is all in Him. All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. So that, that's, that's the first thought this morning. The second thought 
is the promise of divine delegation. The promise of divine delegation. Notice this. In verse 19 and the beginning of verse 20. Go ye therefore, this is the one who has all authority speaking, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What an encouragement to persevere in evangelism because of the promise of Christ delegating to us exactly what to do and exactly what message to bring. All things that I have commanded you. So what do you see here in this second thought, the promise of divine delegation? Well, I'm breaking it down into two thoughts. First of all, there's the command, the command to make disciples. There's no way you can get around this. If you're a believer, you are commanded by the grace of the Holy Spirit to make disciples. That's what the text says. Go ye therefore. Therefore, because all authority is given unto me, because I can bless your efforts, I can save sinners as you bring sinners face to face with this glorious, beautiful gospel. Therefore, because I'm almighty, go out and make disciples. So Christ's resurrection, his imminent ascension into heaven, his reign right now from heavenly places, and his coming again on the clouds, dear child of God, is your warrant, your right, your command for spreading the gospel. You know what life is all about. You know who has the authority of all things. And you are called to go out and make disciples in his name. And you see, that's why our particular church has it as our mission statement, which is printed on every bulletin, by the Spirit's grace, discipling believers in Christ, that's part of the Great Commission too, and evangelizing unbelievers for God's glory. That's our model. That's a biblical model. That's us saying who we are. We are people, if we're believers, we are people that disciple other believers in Christ, and we evangelize unbelievers for God's glory. Are you obeying that command? Are you, are you living as church members? Evangelizing unbelievers. Is that high on the radar? When you get out of bed in the morning, is it your prayer? Lord, help me to meet an unbeliever today to whom I can find a way to share the gospel with him. How many people have you shared the gospel with uh, last week? Last month? Last year? Have you ever shared the gospel with someone? 
well, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm a member of the church, but I, I don't, I don't dare do this. I don't dare partake of the church's model. I don't dare be what the church calls me to be. Well, it's not just the church. It's Christ calling you to be that. If you're, if you're a true believer, this is a command. It's not a maybe. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Go ye therefore. Go and make disciples of all nations. You see, it's no longer just now that little tiny pinprick of Israel. It's the whole world falls under the domain of the authority of Christ in the gospel. So going and making disciples is not optional for the church or for a believer. It's the command of the king of the universe that we have authority, a warrant, and boldness and humility to call others to submit to his rule. So through the Great Commission, the Lord Jesus wants to continue to fulfill his promise way back in the covenant he made with Abraham that through the seed of Abraham, which the ultimate seed is a capital S, Jesus Christ, all the nations of the world would be blessed in his seed with a small s in his children and in going out around the world. So, recall too, if you will, that Christ has said he won't return in the clouds until the gospel is preached to the entire world. Matthew 24, 14. In fact, Mark tells us that we are to proclaim the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15. Every creature. What a responsibility we have as believers. Now you say, but God doesn't need me to do that. Well, technically that's true. God can save anybody without you. But you see, God normally uses means. And as the preacher preaches, we are to model doing evangelism, even from this pulpit, so that you go out and evangelize others, people that we can't meet. So yes, God doesn't need us, but he invites us and he commands us to participate in what he is doing in the world, in his kingdom, something far bigger, far greater than ourselves, something that will endure forever in eternal kingdom. And I'm not sure how many of us really realize this. Now there are people, there are people that say this command comes only to the apostles. Other people say it only comes to ministers. But in our text, the Lord Jesus declares that he is with you all, you all, in the plural, until the end of the age, verse 20 says. So that plural, you all, does not just apply to the twelve or to his living disciples. It's a commission given to the whole church. Notice he promises he will be with you, with you, plural, all of you, until the end or the completion of the age, to the end of the world. That's the end of history. These disciples standing around him are not going to live to the end of history. It's you and me if we're true believers. Is there a special calling to ministers? Oh, oh sure. This is our full-time business. 
to, to bring the gospel. But the calling goes to every believer. Uh, the ancient church father, Augustine, said this, The promise that Christ is with us applies not only to the apostles, but also to every Christian. If the promise of Christ's presence applies to us all, then so does the command founded upon that promise. So the first command here is actually a double command. First command it is, is go forth. Go forth. Go ye therefore. Now that can mean going to the mission field, of course. It can mean venturing out. The word actually can mean proceeding on a journey to execute a command. Evangelism requires going. But it doesn't necessarily mean going to another continent. It can mean going to your children in your own house. Or your children going to your parents. It can mean going to your neighbor next door. It can mean going to the person in your office. Going to those in whom providence has allowed you to have them and your paths cross. You see, you go... You go to others, you pray for opening to talk to others because you are overwhelmed with the wonder and the beauty of this gospel. And if God can save you, he can save anyone. And so when you consider what Christ did to save you from your sin, give his whole life, that's what he did, why should not you go out out of love for him and tell others about how they can find Eternal life. It doesn't make any sense not to tell others about the one thing needful. If you found what life is all about, you see, well, you say, but that, that will take energy, that will take time, that will, that's hard to do. We've got all kinds of excuses. The greatest sacrifices you make for Christ to bring his gospel to others is nothing compared to the matchless sacrifice he made for you. And if the essential fruit of a Christian life is to be thankful for the incredible gospel of Jesus Christ, then we've got to express that thanksgiving by evangelizing others. So the first commandment is go. Second commandment is make disciples. Go make disciples. Teach all nations. In biblical times, disciples were students of a wise master. They could be described as pupils, sometimes as apprentices. Discipleship requires an attitude of humility. Because it's a lifestyle of submission. You, you take up the cross, you deny yourself, and you follow Jesus. So a disciple is someone who follows someone else, not just partially, but as a lifestyle student. May I use that phrase? A lifestyle student. So you're trained to resemble your master. You're trained to imitate your master. You're trained to assimilate your master's teaching and true discipleship. Well, Jesus is saying, in my discipleship, I make you my disciple as my child. You are to become more and more like me by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And then I send you out 
to talk to others about this new lifestyle, this radical lifestyle that surrenders all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Telling others that Christ is not just a guide to life, but Christ is life. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So discipleship, go make disciples, involves taking up the yoke of the master, both on your end to evangelize others and to call others to put on his light and easy yoke and to go forward with him. So under the yoke of Christ, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, we are near him, we submit to him, we obey his command to make disciples. The goal of discipleship, therefore, is to be with Christ personally, not just to know about him intellectually. And we want to tell other people that by the grace of God, we know that hidden life, and they can know it as well by his amazing grace. But it means that we ourselves must be near him. We ourselves must be communing with him. Through prayer, through the word, under sermons, in fellowship groups, in Bible study, whatever it is. We, we ourselves must use the means to be drawn close to him. Because if we're not near him, if we're not following him as believers, if we're backsliding, we will, we will lose the edge of our evangelism with others. Our lives won't be contagious. So our words, our lives, our actions are all involved in evangelizing others. And when we call others to faith and repentance, to salvation, we call them to become disciples also. Disciples to what? Disciples to the person of Christ. Disciples to obey the words of Christ. And disciples to understand the deeds of Christ. And then you say, Jesus goes on after giving this double command, go and make disciples. He tells us, he gives us the paradigm for making disciples. The rest of verse 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So discipleship is a long-term process. You don't just share the gospel with someone, and if they're truly converted, you you let them be on their own. No, no. Discipleship is leading sinners to Christ by the grace of God. And when they are converted, that's just the beginning of it, of discipleship work. The goal is to facilitate their growth into the image of Christ. That's the goal. Not just to get converted and to squeak into heaven, but to get converted and then become conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8.29. That's the goal of evangelizing others. Too often we just make evangelization, bringing people to Christ initially, and we think our job is done. No, no, no. John Calvin said evangelization is not just bringing sinners to Christ, but it's nurturing them in Christ 
and, and, and using the means, showing them how to use the means that they may grow in conformity to Christ. Now, Christ uses here the baptismal imagery of washing. Washing. Baptism symbolizes the washing away of sin through the blood of Christ. And Jesus isn't speaking here now about the baptism of infants. This is a different context. When you go out into the world, he's saying, people have to become true believers, and then you baptize them as adults, and of course then their children get baptized as well. But you baptize them after you've taught them, and they've learned to know Christ. They've got to be true believers. So that's true in the Baptist world today. That's true in the Pado baptist world today. We don't just walk out to people on the street and say, oh, will you come in and we'll baptize you and your children? No, they've got to become believers. And how do they become believers? By getting in contact with the means of grace and through the evangelization of people who, who approach them. So Jesus is saying, you need to bring the gospel to other people. And hopefully, in due time, bring them to church. And they become, hopefully, by the grace of God, true believers. And then they join the church. And when they join the church, they, they get baptized. And they say, we're, we're, we're in a new life now. But then you go on teaching them. Teaching, teaching, teaching discipling. So, what does that mean to be teaching them as, that, as a critical part of disciple-making? Well, teaching, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4, is a core part of faithful ministry. Christ committed the instruction about his person and work to the apostles who in turn committed that word to faithful men, who in turn are committed to communicate that to teach others as well. You find that, you find that in 2 Timothy 2. I just want to read that verse to you because it's very important to the whole process of this chain of authority and discipleship. Uh, 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 2 there. 2 Timothy 2, 2. The things that thou hast heard of me, Timothy, this is Paul speaking, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So, let, just, let me just speak this in my own words in terms of following this chain. So, God's saying, I, I saved you, Paul, and I'm calling you to teach others and evangelize others. I'm calling you to teach a man like Timothy. And Timothy is going to go out and teach others and train others who can bring the word in different places. And they make disciples there. And then those disciples will, will continue. The chain will continue. They'll go out and make other disciples. And eventually they all come to the church and they come under the preaching of the word. But the whole chain is needed. You see that, well, that's why our seminary exists. We, Christ teaches us, we as theological teachers teach men who are called to the ministry. They go back to their countries and teach their congregations. And the people of God in their congregations go out and evangelize others in their community, 
be it Zambia or Malawi or Australia, wherever it is, to teach others also. So this beautiful gospel chain of teaching is at the core of the gospel. Now, how do you do that? This lifestyle knowledge, lifestyle experience, lifestyle teaching of the whole man communicating the Word of God to others. How do you do it? Well, it's not just what you do. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's conveyed by the expression on your face. It's conveyed by the words you speak. It's conveyed by the impressions you make on people, as well as the actual words you say to them to bring them the gospel. So what, what, what you need to get from this is that Jesus isn't saying, just let part of you go out and evangelize others. You must have a heart for evangelism because God has saved you. You want to be instrumental in the salvation by the Spirit of others. And, and, and you love their soul. You love their soul. So that moves you and motivates you to speak to others. You know, you read about Ezra. Um, in Ezra chapter, chapter 7, there's this wonderful text where um, it, it says of, of Ezra that he, he went out and um, studied the Word of God. And then he, he taught it to others. Um, Look it, look it up with me, if you will. Ezra 7, because this is also extremely important. He's a model for us here. Ezra 7, verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. See, it's a heart matter. It captured his life. And to do it. So he lived it himself, and then to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. All three of these are needed. You can't just pretend to be a teacher to other people when you don't know it yourself. That's what the Pharisees were. They were signposts. They pointed people in, the, in, in a direction, but they didn't walk that way themselves. No, no, no. An evangelist, a believer who's an evangelist, is someone whose heart is prepared. And he goes out and does it with his life. And then he also teaches others the ways of God. So it's not just the commands we want or the commands we feel like obeying. But it's the whole word of God we are to bring. We are to live it ourselves. And we are to command others lovingly and invite others lovingly to walk in that way. So God's Word is authoritative for both life and faith. It's sufficient to make disciples. It's powerful to convert the nations. But God uses people to do that in this chain from heart to heart, from life to life, from mouth to mouth, from mind to mind, You see, as we minister to men and women and children in a day of increasing biblical illiteracy, 
We need not to shy away from people, not to say, well, it's hopeless. They don't know what I'm talking about. No, we need to find ways of bringing the gospel simply, beautifully, powerfully, convictingly, arrestingly, wooing them, drawing them, exhorting them with love, discipling them. This is how the Lord himself turned the world upside down by taking a motley group of 12 men with him of all different kinds of occupations, saving their soul, and then sending them out, and then sending his spirit, and then sending them to preach with the fullness of his spirit. Thousands and tens of thousands are saved, and then they train ministers like Timothy, and he goes out, and he preaches, and Others get saved, and then those believers go out and talk to others, and they get saved, all by the grace of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in the New Testament time, took the gospel from that little pinprick of Israel to the whole world. But he did it through the people of God. Go ye therefore, go ye therefore, and make disciples by the grace of the Holy Spirit. He can turn nations Upside down. Just as he did in the Reformation. Just as he did in the Great Awakening. He can do it again. But we are called to obey his command. And to wait on him for blessing. We are called to be evangelists. Not be silent. How tragic to have the answer to what life is all about. And keep it by ourselves. Don't you love other people? Don't you care about their eternal destiny? Go out and evangelize your neighbor, your friends, your work associates in appropriate ways, appropriate times. We'll look at that next time. But obey the command of Jesus. Finally now, the promise of divine presence as we evangelize. Lo, Verse 20, last part. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. There's two things to notice here before we close this morning. The first is this. The assurance, the assurance of Christ's divine presence with us. In the Greek language, it's in the emphatic tense here. Lo, I myself am with you. I am with you. And that's all you need. My omnipresence, my person, my work, my benediction is with you. By my word and by my spirit. God with us. That is, that is the believer's greatest desire. And when you engage in evangelism, my friend, you will experience, sometimes more, sometimes less, but you will experience God being with you, giving you words to speak in times you didn't know what to say. Sometimes you stumble, of course. God knows how to keep us dependent. But other times you'll say, I know, I know, tangibly, I felt like he was with me in speaking to others. I myself am with you. What a, what a sweet thing that is. 
The Heidelberg Catechism says this so beautifully. What benefit do we receive from Christ's ascension into heaven? He's our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. And with respect to his Godhead, majesty, grace, and Holy Spirit, he is at no time absent from us. What a delight that is. There's no joy like that joy. To know that Christ is with you. Not just in times when you evangelize, but actually your whole life. He's with you. He's with you, dear believer. Oh, what a blessing that is. I love what Robert Murray McShane said. He said, how full you would be of Christ if you knew that he was always right in the same room with you at all times. How you would pray more earnestly if you knew he was standing beside you in the room when you prayed. Well, he says, he is with you. He is in the room. He is standing beside you. He's omnipresent. Christ with you. It's everything. The thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said, today I will be with you. He gave him a lot more than he asked. Not just a remembrance of a thought. But I will be with you. You'll be with me in the kingdom of heaven. That's the way to live. That's the way to go out. Trusting he will be with you and will help you moment by moment. What an encouragement for those of us who struggle at times with fear to share the gospel. It's his promise. I will be with you. You say, but I don't have all the right words to say. Oh, that, that could well be. That could well be. I can't do it like a minister could. That, that could well be. But you see, what God often uses is simple words spoken with sincerity from the heart. From the heart. From the heart. That can do more than a lecture. That can do more than fancy words. When people see your life and see that you've found Christ and see that it makes all the difference and can see your joy, you have an inroad right there to speak with them about what gave you so much happiness, so much fulfillment, so much joy. So that's the first thing here under this promise, the assurance of divine presence, but then there's the assurance of Christ's enduring presence. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. The end of the ages, actually, it says in the literal Greek. So we live now in the now-not-yet time, don't we? We now have the full gospel going out around the world, but we're not yet what we shall be in glory when we will be perfect and the consummation of all the ages will take place. But during this time of the now, not yet, remember, I'll be with you through the ages until the very end because I have all authority given to me in heaven and earth. The authority to save sinners, the authority to bless your evangelistic efforts. See, it's all in the hands of Christ, who is all and in all. That's what we need to understand. And actually, I don't know if you noticed it, but four times in our text, 
This word all comes to the foreground. See, notice first that Christ possesses all authority in the world. And then the church must disciple, second, all the nations. And then we must teach people all things that Christ has commanded. And then, fourthly, Christ says, I will be with you all the days until the end is consummated. A fourfold all, because Christ is all in in all. He'll be with his church, his believers, until the consummation of the end of the age. So when we fail in evangelizing, what do we do? We go back and we confess our sin to him and we say, Lord, help me. Help me to be faithful to the end of the age. Help me to be faithful to the end of my life. Help me next time not to miss that opportunity that I bypassed, where I could have spoken, where I held back. Go ye therefore and teach the nations. Teach everyone the wonderful way of salvation in Jesus Christ. Ask for grace to obey diligently Christ's commands. Pray for opportunities day by day. Call others to submit to Christ's lordship. Your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors. Tell them what a wonderful Savior He is. And take this triple promise in the Great Commission to encourage you, to help you onward, to persevere in evangelism until our Lord returns on the great day. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Gracious God, we thank Thee so much for Thy mercy, for Thy compassion, for Thy commission to evangelize. And we do pray, Lord, that every one of Thy true children in this audience this morning, some of whom no doubt will be convicted by this sermon because they never evangelize, but help them to take those convictions and to turn them into confessions, to confess their sin to Thee and help them to change, Lord, and to begin to say even a few words to their children, to their parents, to their neighbors of the good things of God. Lord, be with those who are making conscientious efforts every day, who do look for opportunities to speak to others of the one thing needful. Bless those efforts. Encourage them. And may they receive many souls for their hire on the great day. And Lord, we pray that as we now anticipate a third sermon on this subject, giving us examples of how to go about it according to the Bible, pray that that sermon will be a great help to those who want to do it but don't know how to do it. So Lord, please bless this mini-series and do help us to see our dependency on the Holy Spirit who can make the dry bones live, our dependency upon thy authority who does thrust us out and command us and will be with us and our dependency on various means to use as we hope to see in the future. So bless this series of sermons, we pray, and do help us to go out and evangelize our neighbor 
looking to thee for divine benediction. In Jesus' name, amen.